January 19th edition of the Common Good Podcast. Good to see you all. Thanks for being with us today. It's uh, Science Day around here where astrophysicist, pastor, author, birder, Paul Wallace, husband, friend, <laughs> joins us. Uh, out of Decatur. Paul, it's uh, again snowing here in Minnesota. I know a couple weeks really? ago we talked and I told you, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, we apparently... Um, we figured out the water from the sky problem around here, and uh, it's uh, coming, <laughs> coming down all the time in Minnesota. Uh, how are things there? How are things there from the skies of Decatur? Uh, it's wet. It's drippy. It's about fifty, maybe in the low fifties. So it's pretty warm here, um, mm-hmm. but it's not going to change temperature much because it's so overcast and dark and damp out there. So I imagine it'll be kind of like this all day long. You know, maybe maybe in the mid fifties here. It's really pretty warm. And Dan, how are how are things there in West Michigan today? Yeah, it's rainy and might turn into snow. We'll see. Hmm. Okay. Guys with your snow, <laughs> people with your snow. Good luck to you. Uh, My fourteen year old just wants one good snow. You know, yeah. she, it's been since she was like seven that we had a good snow, like eight, <laughs> seven or eight. You know, like a really good one where you can really get out in it. It's dry yeah. and packable and all that. Well, here's hoping. Well, Paul, as we've talked about many, many a time, the uh, human experience on this earth of ours has been that what happens in the sky frames up how human beings live. It's we this tell stories about it. I mean, it's it's kind of the 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 big narrative of the of the whole thing. We, we make other stories, of course, we yep. need to, but boy, from from religion to philosophy to how you spend your days, where you live. I mean, so much of this stuff comes yeah. from these natural natural experiences. And yeah. so uh, chatting about what's happening, you know, way up in the sky when the when the clouds do finally clear. Give me a moment where huh. people are like, hey, uh, what's happened up in the sky? And we know so many things. When we talked, uh, you know, over text about getting our program together today, it's like, which of these great stories about astronomy in the sky should we talk about to help people kind of, you know, Get there, have have their science fixed. There were and, and there were a lot. There's a lot, and so I just Amazing. picked the four that that immediately appealed to me the most. Um, yeah, but we could have that, talked about one of a dozen different stories, you know, uh, easily. That on any given day, you could just you know have these great things to talk about. Well, uh, let's start closest to us, if we, if we could. That uh, this weekend, uh, this Saturday, the new moon will be the closest. Since the Middle Ages. Yeah, I got the date here. Uh, it's not the new moon. I, the new moon. You know what the new moon is? You know what that means? Opposite uh, of the full moon? Yeah, it means that the, the moon is in the same direction in the sky as the sun. So whenever we do get a solar eclipse, it's at new moon. Okay. Okay. The sun, okay. The sun the, every time the moon, the moon passes in front of the, in the, passes in the direction of the sun, once every month, once every month. That's where the word month comes from. It's moon, month, moon. All right, hang on a second. Already uh, blowing our minds. The, yeah, reward of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's where month comes from. Is yeah. new. In fact, I, in fact, I call them months all the time. It drives my friends, my family crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, well, my family's about to be tormented by the same thing. <laughs> totally. So, so, so once a month. The moon passes <laughs> passes really close to the sun in the sky, and, and occasionally it'll actually cover up the sun, and you get a solar eclipse. So, it's when the moon is in the same direction in the sky as the sun. That happens once a month. Okay, all right, and that's called the new. That's called the new moon when it when it hits when it when it hits that spot. 
Right. When it gets closest in the sky and to the sun on that cycle, it's called the new moon. Yep. And there's a new moon every, you know, something like 29.5 days. It worked out. Twenty. So that's pretty close to the average length of a month for us, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, we just uh, trade gonna... one or two days throughout the the year and add a leap year to make it all work. Yeah. Yeah. So you end yeah, up getting like you end up getting like twelve and a half months, twelve and a half months, twelve, you know, roughly thirteen months per year is what you end up actually getting. You know, lunar calendars work that way, right? So like Ramadan, for example, is based on a lunar calendar. So they don't have, you know, Ramadan occurs every 12 lunar cycles, which is not exactly equal to 12 months. months. So the calendar for Ramadan goes in and out of phase with our calendar slowly over time because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Now, you Go might on. not know the, the history of, of calendars, but it must be then that uh, the moon was the easier way or the more apparent way for yeah. people to keep track of things. That's right. That's right. Uh, it was. It was because the the the, huh. the year was a little harder to nail down. Yeah. Right. Sure. You would need a big like sundial situation yeah. or some yeah. marker to know exactly right. when the year. Right. But the moon, moon, you can just look at the moon. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's new moon again. Hmm. You know, so that happens regularly, you know. So, yeah, that was the original. Original calendars were all lunar. Boy, that is just, uh, see, this, this is the kind of thing, friends. When you listen to this podcast, watch this live stream, you just, you know, just chit-chatting with a friend a little later, and you're like, hey, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> but so sometimes the moon is a little bit closer and a little bit further. Right. And last right, so- time it was 1030 CE or AD? Yeah, yeah. Last time it was close. It, it, last time it was this close was December third, ten thirty. Wow. According to our according to our calendar that we use now, we they didn't use our calendar exactly at that time. Mm-hmm. But according okay. to our calendar, it was twelve three, ten thirty, which is a while ago. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, in some, I guess, in some measurements, uh, yeah, it seems like yeah. it, was, it was a while ago. I, I, I was reading something about uh, human human evolution and you mm-hmm. know how human beings are modern evolutionary uh, version of us somewhere yeah. 50,000 maybe 7500,000 years somewhere in there but yeah. really the civilization as we know it keeping track of things like with with writing and and so on Maybe ten thousand years. Yeah, ten, fifteen, fifteen tops. Yeah, and then you know, uh, as we were talking on this podcast a while ago about you know the age of the Earth and and something I think I was watching is a documentary about Mount St. Helens blowing up. Like now, the rest of the Earth is you know like millions of years. So you know, yeah. human beings have really only been here for this teeny yeah. amount of time in yeah. our current form, and then. Uh, of course, you know our own history just inside of that, which can feel like a long time ago. Um, that when we're talking about the the moon being the closest, yeah, what is the next closest that was that was recent? And could without this fantastic article, would anyone know that? Like, hey, look at that moon. It really no, seems- no, uh, you really wouldn't be able to tell with your unaided eye because you really. One reason is you can't even really see the new moon because it's in front of the sun. It rises and sets with the sun, and so you just can't even see it. 
but no, you, we would not know. We would not know. Even if it were visible, we would not be able to detect it uh, with our with our unaided eye. No, you, we would not. It's just a really nice uh, curiosity, though, because what happens is there's there's two things, there's two cycles that you need to watch. One is the cycle of the phases, which we've already talked about, the 29 and a half day cycle of the phases. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's one uh, cycle, but there's another one. The moon takes about 27.3 days to orbit the earth, not 29 and a half, 27.3. Okay. So it's a little quicker. Right. Okay. Then, now, then, the, re then the reason those are is... different. The reason those are different is uh, <laughs> as, as, as it goes beyond the the, uh, the the scope of this course, as I like to say. Um, <laughs> take because my we class live in a simulation, an, and they I'll just draw make nice up picture. the rules. I'll draw a nice picture for you if you take my astronomy class. <laughs> but for now, just know that there's every twenty nine and a half days you have a, a, a cycle of phases, and every twenty seven point three days you have a single orbit of the moon. Okay. okay. So they don't match. All right. Because now, we're also traveling around the sun. Something to do with that? Yes. Or? It has to do with that. It has okay. to do exactly with that. Yes. So the point is, is that uh, the moon's orbit is elliptical. Sometimes it's closer, sometimes it's further from us. Yes. Okay. okay. So every now and again, a new moon will land right on top of the point where it's closest to us. Those two cycles fall on top of each other, they go in and out of phase with each other. But every now and again, a new moon will occur when the moon is super close to us at one of its nearest point on its 27.3 day orbit. Mm. Okay. So when that happens, you get this, you get the closest, you get the closest new moon since the middle ages. Mm. When, when, the, when those two things coincide. Wow. I guess I, I was assuming from the headline in the article that this is going to be like the moon is biggest in the sky come Saturday. That's the opposite of true. No, it's it is the biggest in the sky. Well, no, it's not the biggest in the sky since the Middle Ages. Okay, that's a different question. It, it, it's the biggest in the sky at new moon since the Middle Ages. So there's the been biggest a biggest full moon. Right, we, right. That's right. a different... You've heard of, yeah. uh, like once every few years you see all these headlines about a super moon or something like that. That's exactly what I was confused by. Yep, okay. Yeah, they call it a super moon when the same thing happens as, as this but the moon is full instead of new when the moon is at its closest point in its orbit to the earth and it's full. That's what they call a super moon. There it is. So, so a new moon, isn't a new moon when we don't see the moon at all? Like you don't, right, you can't exactly. Like, so this is, this is the closest that the moon is going to be and we can't see it. This is the closest <laughs> that it, that it, that it can be, can be in the new moon. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and we can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> All that, and you can't, you can't observe it. You can't um, observe it. Not, not with your eyes anyway. Without, without burning them out, because the, the at new moon, the, the moon is essentially in the same direction in the sky as the sun. And these days, I couldn't see it anyway because of the darn clouds. So the sun would not. So the sun's not shining on the moon in the same way because the moon is in between the sun and right. The, it's put it this know. way: the sun is shining on the other side of the moon, on the back side. Of on the back of the moon, really? the the dark the dark half of the moon is facing us exactly. Got it. Because there really is no dark side of the moon. There if, is no dark side. If when we see these phases, yeah. are the phases not the same? Is 
thing that makes it quarter moon, half moon, full moon, isn't that, aren't the phases the same thing? And isn't, aren't the phases caused by the rotation of the moon around the earth? I mean, I know you said this was out of the scope of the- uh, Yeah, yeah, by the motion of the moon around the earth, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So phases and orbits are different. Phases and orbits are not, are, are not quite the same thing. They're close, but they're not quite the same uh, thing because of the Earth's motion around the sun. Got it. Because because the sun has to do with, the sun affects the phases. The direction of the sun is important for the phases, but it's got nothing to do with the moon's orbit around the Earth. Mm-hmm. So so when you're, when, when you're uh, you know, teaching there at St. Agnes College and you say to the, the people taking your course, okay, around here in this class, we're going to recognize that phases and orbits are not the same thing. But when you're talking to those anthropology students over there, you know, <laughs> that's the degree I had. When you take, talk to those anthropology <laughs> students, it's the same thing. The orbit and phases, they're the same thing. But around here, we're a little more specific about that. Is, is so, that what so we're what what I want to know is what you have against anthropology students. I don't. I, that's where I hung. That's where I hung out, and I'm pretty sure that the people, oh, who knew the see. things that the things that you knew were like, just don't get into the difference between. The, no, no, the, no. The, the students in the, the students in uh, astronomy 101, they come. They're English majors. They're anthropology majors. They're sure. whatever majors. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, so you say to them in this class, we're going to describe the difference between a phase and a and a absolutely orbit. But when yep. you're in your you know, you, when you're in your art class, your anthropology class, your maybe your math class. Okay, it's fair enough. If someone just says, you know, oh. something about the, you, oh yeah, is, is, yeah, is that how it is that average ordinary people without the specificity of the things? Yeah, you know, yeah, right, exactly. You know? I mean, so, I mean, some things is it's not worth being pedantic about in a in a context where it doesn't really make sense to bring that. I mean, yeah, you could I could correct people if I wanted to, but I want to have friends and. Well, let's move a little further away from the moon. Um, Let's talk about exoplanets. Exoplanets. They're trying to figure out why there's this radius gap, like why we can see some smaller exoplanets and some very large exoplanets, but there's been this gap in the middle where we can't find any of this size. What What's going yeah, on? Yeah, this here? is something that I didn't know about until I read this article. I didn't realize that this occurred. But basically, the the situation is that you know, thirty years ago, we didn't know that there were we had there were no planets around other stars that we knew of. But now we know of. We have confirmed about five thousand of them, with many more candidates yet yet to confirm. So they're common planets. It turns out, not surprisingly, astronomers suspected it all along. Planets are common, and so you know. What we um, what we do is we assume that uh, other solar systems are like ours because it's the only one that we have data on. You know, when we started this investigation, um, but it turns out they're really they're really not. Uh, hmm. In general, uh, our, our solar system is a little different in some ways. Um, in other words, there's a large variety of them. Okay, they don't, they don't all look basically like ours. But one thing that was discovered uh, in looking at these planets is looking at their sizes, right? You sort of take all these planets, you know, and you sort of uh, classify them different ways, their orbit, orbital, you know, how long it takes for them to orbit their stars, how far away they are from their stars, how big they are. And it turns out that when you look at how big planets are, um, there's a bunch of planets, 1.4 Earth radii and smaller. So in other words, there's a bunch of planets that are about 
1.4 times the diameter of the Earth and smaller. And there's a bunch of planets that are about 2.4 times the size of the Earth and bigger. Okay. But yeah. there are very, very few planets that are between 1.4 and 2.4 Earth radii. There's a, there's a gap. There's a, there's, there's a gap in the distribution there. No, there, there's relatively huh. few of them. And it's, and it's marked. It's, 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 it's a very clear thing. And nobody, you know, nobody, the question is, why is that? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it that, that, you know, I mean, in our solar system, there are none either, right? Uh, the Earth and Venus are basically one time the same size. And then the next planet size up is what? Neptune, which is, you know, several times, four or five times the diameter of the Earth. So there's that gap does show up in um, in our solar system as well. We have no planets in that mm. in that mm. region, you know. So there's competing theories about it, and that's what this article was about. Was about what the competing theories are. Wow. Uh, one of them has to do with the fact that um, early in uh, a planet's life, in, in in the life of a of, of a solar system, planets tend to orbit sort of spiral down close to the sun, close to the star. And that's because there typically is a whole bunch of junk, a uh, whole bunch of debris and dust and stuff like that in the disk of the solar system mm. that drags, that just wow. that slows the planets down. As they slow down, they spiral in towards the sun and they heat up because of that. Okay. You with me so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, the, the idea is that the smaller planets um, tend to lose more of their atmosphere than larger planets do because they have less gravity. And so when the atmospheres heat up, they lose more of them. Hmm. When you heat, when you heat up a planet, like if we could take the earth and heat it up, you know, as, we, plug as it we're in doing, and, yes. yeah, as we're doing, yes, <laughs> yes, it turns out. Yes. If, if, if we continue on our current path, we will, and you know, if, you know, to, to a comical amount, you know, uh, just, you know, if, okay. if we just can really turn up the temperature of the earth, we would lose our atmosphere fairly soon yeah. because the particles in the atmosphere will move fast enough to escape the gravity of the earth. And so the thinking right. is that smaller planets lose their atmospheres more quickly and more of a larger fraction of their atmospheres because their gravity is not as strong, whereas larger planets hold on to theirs. So planets that are smaller will mm -hmm. lose more of their atmospheres and, and therefore lose mass. I see. And, 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 so and, and, and actually physically get smaller. So they hit a point in their development when they're small, they're kind of safe. They hit a medium sized point and they would get big really fast or they No, what would happen what, is if you what, had, what's if happening you had a, in those middle ones, like if you had a planet like Neptune and you brought it and you let it spiral into the earth, spiral in slowly to the sun, it would lose a lot of its atmosphere fairly quickly because its gravity is not that strong. Okay. It's relatively small compared to Jupiter, whereas Jupiter has a stronger gravity and would hold on to more of its atmosphere. Okay. And so planets that are on Neptune size would get, would get smaller because they're just gas balls. And when they lose atmosphere, they lose size. Isn't that weird? So, yeah. That's one theory. Now, there's a couple others, and one of the others I didn't quite understand had to do with collisions mm. in the uh, in the early solar system. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, the article was about these competing these competing theories, and I yeah. never really knew about that gap before. But it really is quite 
uh, quite obvious when you look at the data. It sort of jumps out at you. Yeah, it's weird that there is that gap. Because you'd right. think it would just, there would be some sort of spectrum and you would catch planets in the middle of this mm-hmm. Right, right. And they would be just, just along this distribution of sizes and they would be sort of, but there's not. It's, it's, yeah. it's what we call bimodal. There's a lot of small ones and a lot of big ones, but none in the middle. The Weird. cosmic cookie cutter, as this article calls it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And, and just a reminder to people, because I had to remind myself when we started this conversation, that exoplanet just means a planet around some That's other right. star. Right. Unlike right. exoskeleton, which we talk about, which is like a... <laughs> Uh, uh, an outside body structure that you put on your <laughs> yourself, yeah, um, right. because someone someone might read if they were you know uh, or hear hear this and think oh exoskeleton people are talking about a kind of planet that's like different like it's just the shell of a planet right. or something like this oh right 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 no no yeah it's yeah, just the language just the language we use because we bias our own solar system so we say around here oh these are planets. If they're from another solar, then we say those are exoplanets because they're exactly. they're not they're not from around here. So, you know the <laughs> same right. kind of uh, right the 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 added adjective uh, that, yeah. that you put out that we that we put on things um, yeah. is is what's happening here in, in astronomy, which is sort of an interesting human. And the number just keeps going up. I mean, literally, I remember when I started teaching astronomy back in uh, the late nineties, there were one or two exoplanets known and now literally like i said there's five thousand that are confirmed with many more thousand uh, yet to be confirmed and how are we so, seeing these are we still it's only when the exoplanet passes in front of its star that we that, can that's probably the most common way that we detect them is when a, a planet pa- basically we measure the light coming from a star and as the planet eclipses the star we get regular steady periodic dips in the brightness of the star so all we don't actually see the planet what we see is the effect as the planet eclipses the star every Mm -hmm. orbit it passes in front of the star and the and the overall brightness of the star drops because that that little planet is 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 absorbing some of the light between us and that yeah. And so when and there's the, a, consist, a consistent dip, then they're like, okay, what's then happening is something is consistently orbiting that right. star. Right. So we know it's not just a space stuff. It's right. So, and, 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 and those are actually kind of hard to detect because, not because it's hard to measure the light, but because you have to have a, a planet. We have to be basically in the, in, in, in the plane of the orbit. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it could be orbiting yeah, so face on like this. what are the like statistics this. of... Like- <laughs> right, right, right. So it's a very tiny fraction of the total number of systems are actually eclipsing mm-hmm. like that. But there are oh, probably yeah. five or six or maybe more different methods of detecting them. That's just one of them, probably the most common okay. way of detecting them. We've there, recently there- been able to get actual images of them. That, that has just started to happen in the last few years. Is the James Webb, is that able to... Mm-hmm. Zoom in it, on an exoplanet yet, or yeah, it's it's able to detect, like actually take images of exoplanets. Wow, and it's real. That's really hard to do. I once heard a, a, a good description of it in one of my uh, textbooks. I said basically it's like being five miles away from a streetlight mm. and trying to take a and trying to take a picture of a bug flying, you know, like a moth or flying around the streetlight. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, the speeds you know, and uh, the yeah. distances. Yeah, yeah, and, and and just the dimness of it, and the dimness of the moth right next to the bright light of the, yeah. That's the challenge is is picking the moth out from the glare of the street light itself. You know, when they're doing the this, do they out. have an do they have an idea that okay, we think there's an exoplanet here. Yeah, let's aim yeah, in this yeah, spot. Yeah, and- yeah. They they wouldn't just pick a random star. They would pick one where they have a reason to suspect that there's already there's already a planet. Gotcha. And turns out to turn it turns out they're right when they when they look. There it is. The James Webb is uh is changing the game for a lot of things though, huh? It's yeah. It's really yeah. as this article says, upending our understanding of the early universe. Like we're having to re-examine a lot of things because of all this new data coming in, huh? Yeah, let me let me tell you what why James Webb is so good, so good for seeing things that are uh, early galaxies. Now, uh, as we've talked about on this same podcast many times, uh, the further you look back in space, the further back you're looking in time. Yeah, and I know we keep talking right. about that. Right? Just <laughs> shaking, shaking my <laughs> still. Okay. So yes. Let, let me tell you this little bit here. Just true. Um, uh, whether or not you believe it, Doug. Let me. Let me. Let me I, let me I, I believe it. I just don't understand okay. it. Like like most important <laughs> things, I believe it and I don't understand it. That's that's all this is. Back when uh, at, at at the at the uh, moment of the Big Bang, back early in the super early universe, uh, there was pretty much only hydrogen and helium. Uh, a little bit of lithium, maybe, but uh, very very little. So mostly hydrogen and helium. Okay, so so the question you would ask is you would say, well, where did all the carbon and oxygen and phosphorus and iron come from and all the others? And uh, the answer is they were sort of slow cooked inside of stars. That's what stars do. They're fusion machines. They build up heavier elements from smaller ones. And our sun right now is creating helium out of hydrogen. And one day we'll probably create uh, carbon out of um, out of helium. So, but not today. Today is not that day. <laughs> um, so the point is, is that over the course of the universe's lifetime, you get more and more and more what we call heavy elements. Ast- astronomers, when they say heavy elements, they mean anything heavier than than helium. You know, yeah, which you is, got, we all know is super light because it makes balloons float. That's is super light. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, hydrogen and helium, number one and two on the periodic table, that's all, pretty much all we had at the get-go. But over time, stars have been cooking heavier elements in their cores. What this means is that if you look back into the early universe, you should see less and less oxygen and carbon, okay, and silicon yeah. and iron. Because it like takes that. so much time to create these elements. Right, right. And so there should be a gradual, steady increase of the amount of carbon, oxygen, and so forth, heavy elements in the universe over time. And now what, how, how, how do we know what's, what a star is made of? How do we know what elements are located in a galaxy? What we do is we take the light and we break it into a spectrum, okay? So we take... So if I want to know what's in the sun, I take sunlight and I put it through a spectrum and it makes a rainbow. Okay. And by, and by looking at the details of that spectrum, you can tell what's in the sun. What, okay. So let's pause there. Why does the light, why do these light waves and light particles, same thing, why do these particle waves, 
why do they represent <clears throat> what's in the makeup of the of okay the star? so so let me ask you this did you take chemistry in high school i know you're an anthropology major but did you take chemistry yeah. in high school probably. or college or anything yeah probably did, do you I, ever remember was, at, there was a room that had a periodic chart of the elements on the wall <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the, the one that's, some that's, bunsen that's, burners that's, yeah i was in there that's, oh yeah the yeah bunsen place. burners yeah. excellent so um, Petri do you dishes. ever remember talking about energy levels or energy shells and hydrogen or any other? Does that ring any bells this. whatsoever? It does not. No, it does not. <laughs> not at all. Well, Dan, suffice do, you, do, you, do you remember this from chemistry? Energy, energy, energy levels? levels? No. Shells, okay. shell structure, 1s orbits, p orbits, d orbits, nothing like no, that. No, I lost <laughs> almost all of it. Yeah. <laughs> You don't use it, you lose it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe I forgot about it, or maybe my teacher forgot about it because it doesn't ring a bell at all. Let me just put it to you this way. Every element has its own internal structure. Okay. Okay. Now, don't worry about what that means. Just just know that, 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 that the structure inside a hydrogen atom is different than a helium atom. It's different than a lithium atom. And each one of these atoms, when they emit light, that light carries, in a sense, an imprint of that structure. Oh, okay. Okay, so that when you get the light from hydrogen and you spread it out, you can see some little little dark lines in that. Basically, you have the rainbow, but imagine a rainbow with a few colors missing. Those You do this with hydrogen, you, there's, a little, there's a wavelength of red that's missing, a wavelength of cyan that's missing, and two purple wavelengths that are missing. And that's always hydrogen that those missing colors are a are like a thumbprint of the atom that they're like they identify the atom okay and they are a, they're sort of a they're sort of a, a shadow of the structure of the internal structure of the atoms okay so every atom's different every atom has a different structure every atom's spectrum is different because different colors are missing for different elements and when, when you're talking about light like this, th is this more like radiation you're talking about versus the kind of light that we see from a bulb or from the sun or from no, your iPhone? No, no, it's 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 it, it's the same thing. In, in physics, talk radiation and light are the same thing. Because it's, when I when if someone looks at some hydrogen in a yeah. beaker in a beaker or helium in a I don't know, coming out of a balloon, we don't see a bunch of light. Oh, right. You got to heat it up. Uh, you if you heat it, heat up, it so, up. So so basically, if you take some hydrogen gas and put it in a, in a tube and then run a yeah. high current through it, it'll light up nice and pink colored. That's how we have, that. that's all neon lights are. They have neon in those tubes. Okay. okay and well, so, there we and, go. Ne neon lights actually have something called neon in them. That an element called neon. Yes. something I should have known. <laughs> Yeah, the original yeah. ones I think had neon in them, and that's why they're called neon lights. But they have different elements in them, and that's why they're different colors. I, I can only imagine that Jim Eaton, who's commenting on the chat, is shaking his head like you people. One of you didn't know that that's what neon neon lights were. <laughs> I just thought it was like some shorthand Greek for something, you know? Oh no, the element neon. If you can find it on the right hand side of, you go back into that chemistry classroom you're oh. talking about, and. Uh, Look three or four lines down on the right-hand side, and you'll see a little NE. That's neon. Wow. So that's the energy structure that then is going to produce if you heat that thing up. Yeah. All right. All right. So Basically, so put it this way. Every element 
has its own unique thumbprint. Wow. And you can okay. see that thumbprint Pretty in cool. that element Pretty spectrum. Cool. Okay. Got it. So here's the point. What Webb can do that Hubble was not able to do nearly so well is to make spectra out of out of things, okay? Super faint things. In other words, what we, what what Webb can do that Hubble couldn't do as well is get spectra of these super duper duper distant galaxies. Mm. So we can split them up. We can take that light and we can spread it out and see what elements show up. Wow. And we fully expect to find no oxygen and no the further back we look, the lesson. In other words, we can test this idea by looking at galaxies further and further away. And as we do, we see less and less oxygen, less and less carbon, less and less iron. And by the time we get back to where Webb can see, we see nothing but hydrogen and helium. Mm. Because what we're seeing is looking back in time, and we're looking at the history of this history that we have long suspected is real, is being shown to be real, that, that over time we get more and more of the heavy elements as they get cooked inside stars slowly over billions of years. Isn't that cool? It's so cool because the idea, you know, one of the big questions a lot of people have in, the, in their understanding of how we got the stuff we have here is a, a designer, um, you know, like a designer architect builder model where, mm. look, someone made it, like most of the stuff we have around us, you're like, it didn't just happen here, right? It, yeah. The, the, the old joke about like a turtle doesn't, if you find a turtle on a fence post, you know someone did it, right? Turtles don't get themselves <laughs> up, on, up on a fence yeah. post. <laughs> so people look around at all the things in the, in the world and they're like, well, something made all this. And then you get into a, you know, a designer, architect, builder mod right. modality and you assign that to God or, you know, right. whatever. And then people come along and they're like, no, you don't, you don't need that designer. You, what you need is a certain set of conditions that then we can argue about what put those conditions in place. And right. then the system will create this stuff itself. So helium, right. hydrogen, just start cooking. Mix, cooking somehow, spinning around each other. And the next thing you know, you got a turtle on a fence post. <laughs> that everything yeah, gets yeah there, there's a very important little like dot 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 between uh you know hydrogen and helium and then some things happen dot 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 <laughs> and then and someone this, put a turtle on and then turtle one on thing turtle led on, to another yeah put a turtle on a fence post so all the things then you're suggesting that exist everything we're looking at every you know moss and turtles and and uh all the things that exist in the world in our on our planet and the and the exoplanets just happen because of whatever's produced out of the system that starts with hydrogen and helium yeah heating heating up yeah yep yep you know that if is you were to, just give yourself and, a minute <laughs> <laughs> and the the um the truth is is that if if you ask you know what is the universe made of the answer is hydrogen Still, it is predominantly hydrogen. Mm. This and, and and in a and in a fairly fairly distant second is um, helium, and then after that, everything else is traces. So we're living like the world around us, our daily world, the elements that make up everything around us on the on this planet is is really uncommon. Mm. You know, it's I mean, it's in, in the sense of this is not in general what the universe is made of. Mm -hmm. 
the universe is the universe is basically hydrogen and helium, and everything else is like less than a percent. And and I, I know it's, we're not in a biology, uh, you know, online course here, but when people what what caused the Earth to produce the things that the Earth has produced? That much of that has to do with the atmosphere, right? That an atmosphere gets created around the Earth, and then that starts to protect. Yeah, well, yeah, like, yeah. The atmosphere the pe- definitely like, made it like possible. Like a petri dish. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it it protected uh, the surface from harmful radiation from the sun, uh, UV light, uh, gamma rays, things like that. Uh, so that was definitely required. There's more. There, more is required than that, but that is definitely a a requirement. You have mm. to, and not just so we can breathe it. Um, in fact, life began before there was oxygen in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Just not, mm-hmm. yeah, it was um, not life as, you know, like the turtles, you know. Was yeah, it was cell, yeah, cells that <laughs> right. start to, yeah. Right. <clears throat> oh, wow. Hey, yeah. uh, what, what are the things about, you know, you said the, the, the issue here was that we believed uh, people who study such things, we, look at me, we, you know, we astronomers, we believed that um, <laughs> that the other universes, the other solar systems, pardon mm-hmm. me, the other solar systems mm-hmm. would behave similarly to ours, which we have a certain understanding of. So then yeah. we said, well, there can't be a planet around that one because of whatever. What are the basic things that we thought the other solar systems were like that's like ours yeah it turns out they're they're no they're not actually like that like what, yeah. what's yeah. what's in the short well, list of that kind of the, thing the, to, to be the the first thing is this well the first thing you got to know is about our own solar system is that it's really kind of uh organized i mean you've got four inner planets that are uh, relatively small and rocky and then you have the asteroid belt, and then you have four outer planets, which are really large and uh, and made of uh, this big balls of gas. Okay, there's a lot of differences between the inner and outer planets, but there's there's some structure there, and you know, so that we say, okay, this might be normal for other solar systems, and and I need to say it it, it might be more normal than we think, but we're just not sure because here's what happened when we first started looking for solar systems out there, first started finding planets around other stars, they looked, at first, they looked nothing like our solar system. What they typically had, okay, were large planets on the order of Jupiter's size that were super close to their stars, like the, like closer than Mercury is to our sun. Hmm. These planets were that close to their stars, orbiting very quickly, okay, hmm. Uh, known as hot and, and, and the category is known as hot Jupiters. That's what they're called because they're, they're hot. <laughs> Isn't that good? Oh, Isn't that also, good? That's also Great. a club down in Daytona, Florida. Right? Sounds, sounds like a band Florida I went to once. <laughs> yeah. Hot uh, Jupiters had a great yeah. time there. Yeah, this place has everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hot Jupiters. <laughs> Love it. Hot Jupiters. Yes, yeah, because they're hot because they're close to their stars and they're Jupiters because they're so big. Okay. Um, which is nothing like our solar system, right? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Just this diamond close. Opposite. Bizarre right. solar system. Hmm. But that turned that turned out to be what we in the business call a selection effect. Okay. Selection effect means that because of the way we were searching for them mm-hmm. yes. for other solar systems, we were more likely to find certain kinds of them first 
just you know, just a truth of the world right there. It <laughs> applies not only to astronomy, but to every other field, right? The thing you're looking for, yeah. that's the thing you'll find first. <laughs> it's, unless it's, it's the, the thing you the, want. The most it. obvious, the, the simplest, the simplest uh, example of a selection effect is when you look up at the sky at night and you think, oh, look at all those bright stars, you know, the, the, the stars. But the truth is the stars you're seeing are not necessarily the brightest ones. Uh, there's a lot of stars mm. in our field of view that are just too dim for us to see. Okay. And some of the stars that we see are not very bright at all, but they're close up. Okay. Wow. So we're not necessarily seeing uh, the brightest stars. You know, we're, we're just, we just happen to see the ones that, oh. that, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, in other words, what we see, what we see in our eyes is not a, not a random sample of stars. Put it that way. Yeah. It's a different, that's it's wrong, a different measurement. It's a different measurement. You're saying the thing we right. see the brightest does right. not describe the status of that thing. Right. That it's not it, intrinsic. That it therefore right. is the brightest. It just appears right. the brightest. Right. right. It's like having a bunch of, it's like having a bunch of different light bulbs or different wattages spread out randomly. You know, there's some that are dim that are close up that you can see, but some that are super okay. bright that are way far away that are actually less bright than the dim ones. Mm -hmm. you know, because of the distance factor. Mm -hmm. Nice. So that's okay. a selection effect. And that happened when we looked for solar systems because of the way we were looking for it. We were, we were, we were, we were, it was certain to find certain kinds of solar systems first. Right. And so we found those and there turned out to be a lot of those, but after over time, as our, as our, as, as we learn different ways of searching for solar systems and different ways for searching for these exoplanets, mm -hmm. then we began to see a large distribution of kinds of solar systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And our, and our solar system is, is not, it, it's not like we found a bunch of them like ours. Ours just happens to be one of a distribution of different kinds mm -hmm. that are, are out there. When they're looking for, life out there are they believing we should look <clears throat> then in the solar systems that are structured closer to our solar system is that part of the deal is that i mean yeah, that part of the, that, the organizing and, 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 of the looking? yeah it's an assumption uh you know and scientists are aware of this assumption that that life we feel like life you know the first place we're looking are our earth our planets more or less like earth you know, at a distance from their star where liquid water can exist. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking where we, we know that we have, a, we have one, you know, we have one sample of life in the universe and that's right here. And so our assumption going, looking out is that sure. other life will be more or less like this. We, of course it could be wrong, but we've got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so that's what we do. We look for planets that are more or less the size of earth and more or less the same distance or a distance from their star such that, liquid water can exist how, how, how many solar systems are, are there roughly what's the what's the current guess count right now we know of i would say several thousand at least three four thousand at least something like that but wow. you have to understand that we're, we're we're not looking everywhere we're looking at a very tiny slice of the galaxy in a certain direction uh with a certain wow. set of instruments so you really have to multiply that out and assume that we're looking at a representative slice of the galaxy mm -hmm. and then multiply that out by the and number so, of galaxies. Well, so as far as the number of, <laughs> of solar systems that we've detected, it's in the three or 4,000 range. 
Wow. But if you multiply it out, it gets very quickly up into the millions, billions. And that's, and that's just in our, and that's just in our, and that's just in our galaxy. That's not, that's just in the Milky Way. That's not right. Wow. In other galaxies. Then and that's just in our universe and not even in the other universes. <laughs> and in the correct. multiverse. Yeah. We know, yeah. That we know that's right. exists. Yeah. Well, speaking of other crazy things in our last couple minutes here, uh, there's this, I wish people on the podcast could see this image. Uh, it's from the James Webb telescope and it's this, uh, these stellar spirals and uh, it's a binary star system, these two giant stars, but they're creating like, it looks like someone dropped a star in a pond and it's creating these ripples outward. What's happening yeah. in this image and uh, how, how come we haven't been able to see stuff like this before? Oh, we have. We have. We've seen other examples of this, but not, nothing quite so spectacular as this picture right here. And uh, it does look like ripples, but what it actually is is a spiral. Okay, so it's it's actually one long. Wow. Okay. It's a spiral. Okay, but you can't see that because the left half of it is cut off, and you can't see where the where the uh, lines connect back mm -hmm. on themselves. But it's a spiral. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? And so what we have here, it's really multiple star systems are super common, like double stars and triple stars and quads mm -hmm. and things like that. In fact, if our sun is in the minority uh, because it's an isolated star, most stars um, come in groups, two, three, or, or in larger or in larger clusters oh, wow. um, of several hundred or even millions. Um, so this is a binary system, which that alone is not uncommon. But these two stars are both spectacular in some ways. Um, one of them is about 30 times the mass of the sun, which is the upper limit of what you can have and still have a star be stable, hold together. Mm. So it's very large and very bright, burning its hydrogen fuel at an extremely high rate. Big stars like that don't live long. Mm. I mean, when I say live long, I don't mean you know, like you know, two years. I mean like you know, a couple million years, something like that, okay. before they before they die out, as opposed to our sun, which was going to live 10 billion years. Um, sort of, oh, wow. You know, wow. so little engine, yeah, <laughs> a little a engine. engine so, so one of these stars is a, is, is just a really bright, large, uh, massive star on the very edge of what is, mm. um, what's possible, uh, physically to hold together. And all stars like our sun, um, emit what's sort of you call it a stellar wind of particles and and so forth and our atmosphere shields us from that a bunch of protons electrons other particles and intense radiation from the sun it's called a solar wind and this is a steady outflow of mm -hmm. particles and radiation mm -hmm. from the sun all stars do that and this star uh this really large star the 30 solar mass star has a lot of that wind a lot of that dust and so forth coming off of it the other star is known as a wolf rayette star it's a special category of star and it has run out of hydrogen fuel it's also very massive probably started at about 20 solar masses it has come to the end of its hydrogen burning phase it has run out of gas hmm. okay it's run out of yeah. hydrogen fuel okay nice. and so what happens in a star like this is that it right before it dies, it kind of upshifts into burning helium. And that is an extremely 
uh, energy producing situation. Basically, the brightness of the star doubles, triples, quadruples. Mm. It just gets much brighter very quickly over a short amount of time. So it's burning helium. And what's happening with these? So they're both very intense stars with a lot of with pushing out a lot of uh, solar wind and so forth. But they're orbiting each other in a highly elliptical orbit. So by highly elliptical, I mean sometimes the two stars are super close and sometimes are super far away. See, there you go. Okay. So when they orbit, they one of them passes super close to the other, and their winds collide with each other. These wow. these flows of wind collide with each other when they're so close, and it, it basically creates this spiral shape as they orbit. So every so every curve you see in that picture there is one orbit of the system. Every seven point, ah. every seven point nine three years, each one of those represents a seven point nine three year orbit of the two stars around each other. Wow! And so they're moving outwards very fast, actually. Okay, uh, but every one of those ripple, every w- one turn of the spiral, every every seven point nine three years. Wow. Is this uh, image that we see? Is this an artist rendition? Or no, is this that's the real thing? They're at, that is the actual deal. They're actually catching that, catching that. Yep, that's infrared light. And so this what, is my, uh, my uh, web. Yeah, this is two light years across. Yeah. Is what they're so saying. One, one end of this spiral structure to the other is about two light years across. Just insanely <sighs> big. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Insanely big. This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's, just, it's just truly. I mean, it's, I would love it's to see a movie of it. You know, and and and, and, and I, I imagine they're, they're going to do that. That they're going to take a shot of it every periodically. You know, once every uh, couple months mm-hmm. or something, and then you can put the put them together. And over you know over the next ten years, you'd be able to see a little bit of motion. Oh, be able wow. to see a little bit of movement as these ripples move out and a new ripple is created at the middle. Wow. So the Those ones on the outside so cool. were created a long time ago. The ones on the inside were are fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, you you have rippled our brains just as well. Thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for your patience. Thanks for uh, you know helping us understand a little bit about not only our world, but you know I, you know about like how we think about things. That's that's the part of yeah. science I find so fascinating. Is not just the the data details from any particular scientific yeah. discovery, but what it makes your brain do to sort of make sense of it all. Like it's a different, it's, it's, it's another way that human beings yep. describe things. Like there's a lot yep. of other ways to describe and there's other, uh, other ways of thinking that we also engage, but this stuff right. is just fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. My yeah. all we'll right, see you in a couple well, weeks. Be nice to those kids today. All right. I will. Bye. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll tell you, Dan, this, you know, this this sciencey stuff, I can I can see why people say like, oh, I'm not I'm not into science, like I don't get it, you know, because um, it really is a it's an exercise of the thinking, you know, especially the stars and you know the the big stuff, yeah, the little stuff too is kind of complicated. You get into the you know nano nanotechnology stuff it's mind-blowing actually the medium-sized stuff is sort of confusing too now that i think about it i think about all sizes of things very yeah very crazy yeah truly something yeah all right is that good for today i think so all right well hey all thanks for being a part of the podcast uh you know i listen to a lot of podcasts you know other people always end it and and live streams and and youtube videos and stuff pay attention to a lot of those 
People always have invitations for people to do, like send us an email at this at this note. Uh, uh, click on this thing. See, see us over there. We always just say goodbye. Real missed opportunity. You know, we could yeah. be begging people to do things. Well, we'll say thanks to Jim and thanks to I Like to Watch, which is a fantastic. Uh, is that, <laughs> was that a YouTube comment? Yeah, that's a YouTube. I, I, he says, I like you're blowing my mind. Two light years across. Yeah. Uh, boom yeah i mean i don't want to get started on my mind blowing today it was it was ex, it was extraordinary um <laughs> uh all right well we'll go do whatever it is you were all, uh, already gonna do good people and uh oh hi Catherine. and uh you know click and like and share and do a thing and send us an email at info at votecommongood.com or yeah definitely drop us a note if you uh yeah if there's a topic you want us to get into with astrophysicist paul wallace or some other totally. topic economy whatever uh, yeah drop us a note by the way we will be talking you know this thursdays <clears throat> sometimes we talk science sometimes we talk economics sometimes we talk border so we we do move this around we will be doing a s select conversation about the economy as congress pushes toward not funding past expenditures that they call debt we will, uh, again, remind you of that. And if you want to go back and listen to any of our previous podcasts or watch the live streams where we've talked with economists, um, we'd love to have you do that. There's a couple of them on there with uh, Fadal Kaboob, which you'd really love on on understanding our economy. And then we did a, uh, a listening to and a conversation through Stephanie Kelton's book, um, The Deficit Myth, which will help free up your brain as to what's going on with Congress. And when you hear reporters and other people say things, you're just like, that's just not how it works. Or they're, they're using casual language in a way that's inaccurate. So we will be talking about that in coming weeks. So if, if, um, if, if you feel like you don't know what's going on with the debt ceiling and all that, we'll explain how so much of that is politicians using that topic to try to accomplish some other ends. And it's not about kids with credit cards not and not paying the credit card bill. Uh, yeah. Federal federal budget is not a credit card bill for mm -hmm. the love and the number of times that people talk about it like that. It's a scare tactic. But we'll get into it. And uh, yeah, until then, uh, thanks for Goodbye. watching. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. See you later, everybody. Bye.